Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Fix Your Sciatica podcast, where we meet with experts and clients and discuss how to manage your sciatica and low back pain without the use of medications or surgery. I'm your host, Dr. Ashley Mack, and I'm a physical therapist as well as the founder of iFixYourSciatica.com, a go-to resource for pain management. I said this before, and I'm going to say it again, in the world of technology, it brings people together. And today's guest, I actually connected via LinkedIn because I just happened to like one of his posts and seeing his credentials and the content he's produced, I really respect him and his expertise. And he was kind enough to actually help us out by sharing some of his knowledge with you all. So his name is Dr. Dave Candy. He's a physical therapist and a specialist and has a fellowship in manual therapy. And in today's episode, we're going to talk all about that and how that can actually help you. So Dave, thank you so much for being on today's episode. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. And I appreciate the opportunity to be here. I was actually overwhelmed by by your bio seeing you had the number one podcast on Apple Podcasts on Sciatica. So it's truly a pleasure to be here. Uh, but the pleasure is all mine. I'm so pumped because uh, you know a lot about sciatica pain yourself and you have a very uh, unique set of skills and certifications, which you don't find everywhere, but it's also, in fact, very, very useful for managing conditions like sciatica and other chronic pain. So Dave, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you got to this point in your journey, uh, especially when it comes to manual therapy work? Sure. Um, you know, when I went into physical therapy, I actually had really no desire to go into physical therapy as I was growing up and even through high school. I wanted to be an athletic trainer when I got out of high school. And I had a very forward thinking guidance counselor who said, you know, you, you work nights, you work evenings, you're at the mercy of the team, you have no family life and you don't get paid all that well. He said, you should look into physical therapy school. And so I did. And uh, I found out that uh, I did do my undergrad in athletic training and found out that he was, in fact, right. And so I went on to get my doctorate in physical therapy, still thinking that I wanted to treat sports medicine patients very much like I think you work with a lot of active sports medicine people. And that was great for a little while. But I found out that there were basically two sorts that I ended up dealing with, either whiny high school kids um, or prima donna athletes. Um, who thought they walked on water. And really, I found myself that what I got the most joy out of was just helping everyday people who wanted to get back to doing the things that mattered most, um, playing with their kids or grandkids, going to work, providing an income for their family, um, staying active and going to the gym, doing the exercises that they like, you know, the things that uh, people really value in their lives. And at the same time, I found out that uh, you know, a lot of the stuff that I learned in school, it worked great for about 80% of the people. But then there was this 20% that I did exactly the same stuff and it just didn't work. And, you know, I'm kind of a perfectionist, so that didn't sit too well with me. And so I went on to figure out, well, what can I do to help these people? And I actually had a great mentor 
um, who was a, a fellow, a manual therapy fellow um, in school. And so I went through the same residency and fellowship program that she did. And uh, ultimately, I got a lot more skills that, uh, you know, I went in thinking, I want some tools. I want to find all these cool techniques that she could do to get people out of pain fast. And and what I found, I did find those tools. But what I really found was that there's a higher level of clinical thinking that you get when you go through a fellowship program like that. And and that's what I really think sets aside a a fellow from kind of your entry level physical therapist is that ability to dig down deeper, problem solve, and then put your hands on people and help people get better. So that's how I got to where I am. Sounds like a a beautiful journey. Uh, (laughs) It's really cool. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, I think what a lot of people, uh, I think what a lot of people see when it comes to the physical therapy profession is the fact that it's this big umbrella of a whole bunch of the same type of practitioner. And I often meet people, especially when they're meeting with me with calls or meeting people on the street and they're like, oh, I've tried physical therapy and it didn't work. And I think one of the coolest things, especially as you are a fellow uh, in manual therapy, is the fact that not all physical therapists, not all chiropractors, not all medical, not even all professionals under the same umbrella are the same. And we're dealing with the human mind and the ability for that practitioner to be able to truly uh, clinically think or critically think and be able to find out what is the best case, uh, what what is the best way to use a tool or what's the best tool for this specific situation. And so you brought up this concept of residency and a, a fellowship program. So could you tell us a little bit more about, about what that is? And then after that, we'll talk a little bit more about manual therapy, but let's, let's go a little bit more into what your training was like or why someone would get that type of training. Well, sure. And the why is really the, the big important part is that you know, if you want to develop a more in-depth knowledge base of a particular skill, um, you go get more training on it. And you, know, you said physical therapy is a big umbrella, and it's not just outpatient physical therapy for pain. Um, physical therapists treat neurological conditions. Ne- physical therapists treat cardiac conditions. Um, they treat skin conditions. Um, but even within the big, broad range of orthopedic physical therapy, there's you know, some subsets. So some people treat women's health. Some people treat uh, you know, mostly just ankle problems. Most people, some people treat back problems. Um, but a lot of us treat a lot of different things. And so, if you look at the medical profession, you've got say your entry level doctor, and then you might specialize in family medicine or orthopedic surgery or cardiac surgery. And then you might go on beyond that to get, say, a residency in a foot and ankle surgery. So you're no longer just a, an orthopedic surgeon, but you're an orthopedic surgeon who's fellowship trained in foot and ankle surgery. And the physical therapy model kind of follows that same um, level of increasing pedigree, I guess, um, where you go through a residency program to learn more about orthopedic physical therapy. And then if you want to get further training beyond that, you go into a fellowship program to learn more about some subset of orthopedic physical therapy, or in my case, that was manual therapy. All right. So 
now that you've gotten uh, all this training, I think a lot of people are thinking because if, if you if you search any sort of website and, and you, you go to the general physical therapy website or a physical therapist website and they're like, these are the services we offer. We offer massage. We offer sports injuries. We offer manual therapy. I find that a lot of people look at it and they're not really quite sure what that is. Like, could it be a massage? Could it be? Um, I, I, in general terms, it's usually mostly like hands-on, but for the, the lay person who's not really quite sure what manual therapy is, but might consider manual therapy, can you tell us a little bit more about like what your definition of manual therapy is? Sure. Well, you know, to tell you the truth, I don't have manual therapy other than maybe a little credential somewhere on a bio page saying that I'm a manual therapist. I don't have it anywhere on the website. And, and truly, that's because it's just a vehicle to get people to where they want to go. Um, when I first got done with my residency in or my fellowship in 2012 or 2013, somewhere around there, um, yeah, I thought it was a big deal. I, I thought it was, wow, I've got all these great credentials now. And, but what I really found is it's just all about helping the patient. And manual therapy is a great way of putting your hands on people and getting some pe people some fast relief. But what research shows is manual therapy doesn't last. It lasts anywhere from 15 minutes to you know, maybe a couple hours. So it's a great kind of trick or tool to get people some quick relief, get some quick buy-in to uh, you know, get people out of pain and get them to believe, hey, this person kind of knows what they're talking about. But it's really the the deeper understanding of the problem where you get people the lasting relief. And you know, that's kind of what I think sets an orthopedic manual physical therapist aside from a lot of chiropractors, not all chiropractors, because I have a, a very some very good friends who are great chiropractors. But you know, I think the traditional chiropractic model is you come in three times a week, then two times a week, then once a week, then once a month for the rest of your life for maintenance. And you know that that's really, I think, what sets us apart is that we use the hands-on treatments, and in many cases, a lot of the same treatments um, to get people feeling better quickly. But then we look for those root causes and help empower people to take care of themselves. And you know, truly, if we're, we're really good at it, we kind of work ourselves out of a job because they don't need us as often. But they refer friends and family members, and every now and then they bang themselves up and have to get back in. So um, that's kind of how it works. We are going to take a quick break to tell you about our awesome new program called the Sciatica Protocol. If you don't have the time to see a professional, but are tired of trying to figure out this recovery on your own, then the Sciatica Protocol is for you. Harness the power of a knowledgeable physical therapist through your phone. It takes no more than seven minutes per day, and it is designed to help you recover as quickly as possible. Now, having an on-demand physical therapist can cost thousands plus hours of sessions. But with the Sciatica Protocol, you'll receive the same, if not better, customized care completely free. And why are we making this program free? Because I believe that everyone deserves to live free from pain without actually having cost be the biggest obstacle. It is simple to start and all you need to do is log into ifixyoursciatica.com forward slash the dash sciatica dash protocol and fill out the nine question quiz to begin. The link for the program is in today's show notes. I am writing so much stuff down because there's so many things that you just said that really resonate with me and what I often tell people. Um, I want to talk about the thing that you just said, which is like pretty much putting yourself out of a job. Um, I think it's just really interesting that 
uh, in every other aspects of in every other industry, um, you are really good at your job. And as a result, your clients stay with you for a long period of time because they, that those clients need you. But in essence, for us, and even in healthcare, when you're really good at what you do, or you do, you get the job done when you fix that patient or that client, uh, you, you have to, you pretty much just lost a client, which is a good thing because that's what our jobs are, right? To take care of those people. But I just thought that was a really, a really interesting, um, really cool point there. Um, there's two really big pieces that you said in that previous statement, which I, I loved is the aspects of, Manual therapy in itself is a tool. It's one of those things, one of those many tools in our clinical toolbox that we can use to help people. And from there, I also love the fact that you said it's a way to actually create some quick results to actually help one take the edge off the pain and actually get some some client buy-in, but be able to show some results, um, which I think is really well put. I think one of the challenges is a lot of people really say like, manual therapy is like the king of all treatments. And then they just focus on that, not giving people the opportunity to uh, create and increase that autonomy um, and that power for people to, to, to really take care of themselves. So anyway, everything that you said right there, I freaking love and I really respect that. And I thank you for saying that, Dave. Um, it's really, really cool. Um, so in regards to using manual therapy school, because I also want to talk about in a, in a little bit, uh, is the general thought process and be able to say, how can we implement this, right? But let's talk about like the various different types of manual therapy and let's use it just to make it, uh, to give you a little more direction. We'll talk about it specifically for, let's just say the person, the patient, the person who's experiencing sciatica pain. Sure. So I'd say you can broadly break down manual therapy into two main classifications. There's there's joint mobilizations and then there's soft tissue manual therapy. So you know joint mobilizations have to do with moving the joints. Soft tissue mobilizations have to do with moving the muscles and other soft tissues in the body. Um, and they do work hand in hand a little bit. Um, but if you look at the first category, there's kind of lower grade joint mobilizations and not to get too into detail, but just kind of slowly moving joints within their normal range. And then there's what people kind of think about what chiropractors do, the, the quick snap and pop where you get things moving quickly. And physical therapists, especially manual physical therapists, are are trained to do all of those things. Um, but, you know, there's also the, the precaution of who to do it to and who would benefit from it and you know, who not to do it to and who you could actually make worse or significantly worse if you do it to the wrong person. Um, so that's the, the joint manual therapy. And some of the things that you might have people do are, you know, gently press on your back or move your back in different directions. Um, sometimes do the snaps or pops when it's appropriate for you to get things loosened up and create a physiological response in your nervous system that makes you feel better, loosens your muscles up, helps you move better with less pain. Um, so that's kind of joint manual therapy. The other type of manual therapy, which I actually, even after my fellowship, didn't really get a strong hold into until probably a good 10 years into my practice, um, is soft tissue manual therapy. And uh, the soft tissues, um, particularly muscles, are a huge unrecognized source of chronic pain. That if you look at the medical specialists, you have cardiologists, uh, cardiologists, gosh, I can't say that word, 
but the heart doctors, um, you have uh, orthopedists who work on the joints, you have rheumatologists who work on rheumatological conditions, you have uh, OBGYNs who work on feminine things, Um, but there's no medical specialty that truly owns muscles. There's no myologist, so to speak. And because of that, no one really claims the muscle system, and it can become a huge source of unrecognized chronic pain. And I think that's really a, a, a area where we as physical therapists have a lot of um, impact on the population to be able to address that muscle system, not just through stretching and strengthening exercises, but through treating uh, areas in the muscle called trigger points. And, and essentially what those are is there are areas where the muscle is four times more tender. That's kind of the you know, textbook definition, but they're really tender knots in the muscles to break it down into layman's terms. And people will often feel those in their shoulders or in their neck because we all sit at computers all day anymore. Um, and those are big areas that uh, they affect people's movements. They can be a source of chronic pain. And essentially what happens in a trigger point is once that knot develops, it decreases the blood flow to the muscle. And because you get decreased blood flow, it uh, you get decreased nutrients and oxygen. And the muscle has the lack of ability to produce energy. And surprisingly, muscles actually need energy to be able to relax. So because those muscles are knotted up and they're not getting the right amount of blood flow that they need in the areas where they need, they become stiffer and stiffer and stiffer over time. And a lot of people will find that even if they stretch, those knots just don't go away. Or even if they do exercises, their physical therapist or chiropractor, whoever else showed them, those muscle knots just stay there and they don't go away. And so there are a lot of treatments that physical therapists and other providers who treat muscles can provide. Uh, you know, manual trigger point therapy is a great uh, tool. Dry needling is a great tool that I've been doing since 2015, which has really been a practice revolution. It can just treat some things you just can't do with your hands. Um, but again, they're all tools. They're all just ways to get to the next step, which is really addressing the root cause and helping people learn how they can keep those knots from coming back once you do get them to relax. Uh, I have two questions for you. Just based off of what you said, because um, that that's all great and that makes a ton of sense. So I have a very interesting question. Number one is, uh, what do you think came first? So this is a chicken or the egg question that I have for you. Okay, so we have, uh, and I put this in like a little, it's like a triangle. And then at each point of the triangle, it's a double sided arrow. So it's like, which came first, Uh, pain, joint immobility, or muscle knots? And so, yeah, that's a, it's a very big open question. There's really no, I, I, in my mind, there's really no wrong answer, but I would just be interested to see, you know, with your background and, and your thought process, like where, where do you think that is? Sorry, putting you on the spot. Yeah, no, no, give me a minute to think about that. But, you know, I, I kind of picture that that is uh, you know, what you were describing, like the, the fire triangle, the one where you need uh, oxygen and fuel and uh, heat, um, if I'm getting those right. And it's kind of two-way arrows on every end. So I think it could truly start on any of those that uh, if you have, let's say, a car accident or, or, an, or an injury, you're going to overstretch tissues. You're going to have a pain response. 
And because of that, your your brain is going to try to guard you. It's going to try to prevent that from happening again. And so it's going to stiff the muscles up, stiffen the muscles up to prevent a future injury. Um, but I also think that if you move funny for a long period of time, let's say that uh, you, know, you either sit in an awkward posture for a long period of time, or you have some stiff calves, for example, and so you overpronate your foot and you twist your knee over and over and over, that movement dysfunction, I think, can also be a cause of pain. So, boy, it really is a chicken or, or the egg type of thing. And I think the answer could go either way that um, I think pain can cause that muscle spasm and joint dysfunction. And I also think repeated minor joint dysfunctions or muscle spasms can lead to pain over time. Yeah. I, as we're talking more about it, it makes me think of like the recycle symbol, right? The recycle. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's a vicious cycle. And, uh, you know, it doesn't matter what point you get into it. Once you get into it, it's kind of hard to get out of it. Yeah. And so, you know, we have these, we have these two, we can group manual therapy into two separate areas, which is um, joint mobilizations. And we also have the the soft tissue and, um, listeners, as we're kind of gathering all this information, my understanding with with both of these, both joint and soft tissue, and even pain, and as we said in this like recycle recycle um, triangle, is that it, it's all really uh, it, it acts as a dynamic system, and it is actually really important that whether you're working with people like me and Dave or whatever practitioner is being able to take this information and be able to use their judgment, their education, and their knowledge to actually decide which are the best tools to use. And so, Dave, um, if, if, if I may ask you, can you tell us a little bit more about like what, what, like, what your thought process is and how, how you can actually determine which tools to use on, on what person and, like, and condition? Well, sure. You know, it, truly, it's a very simple thought, thought process. And I almost think that people tend to overcomplicate things, um, especially when the pain's so bad and you've been through so many different doctors and practitioners and, you know, three chiropractors and two physical therapists. You start thinking, man, this must be a really bad problem and start looking for these little nitty gritty micro tiny things. But, you know, really find the things that make you feel better that, uh, if standing up tall with your back arch makes you feel better, do more of that. If sitting slouched with your back back rounded like everybody tells you not to, do more of that. Um, and if a, an exercise hurts, don't do it. Um, if you get a stretch and you, you feel the burn, that may not necessarily always be a good thing, especially with sciatica, that um, nerves are not nervous tissue is not made to stretch. Um, muscles are made to stretch. But when you do something, for example, like a hamstring stretch, um, you lengthen your hamstring, but you also lengthen the sciatic nerve. And I, I think a lot of people, when they feel that burning you know, type of stretch, it's maybe not the muscles, it's actually the nerves. And so a lot of times, stretching the things that are not painful is even more important than stretching the things that are. And what I look for is is movement dysfunction. Um, if a muscle is short, then you stretch it. If a muscle is painful, it doesn't necessarily mean that it needs to be stretched. In fact, muscles can hurt because they're overstretched. And so just because a muscle hurts, it doesn't mean you necessarily want to stretch it. 
You might, you might need to stretch it, but you also might not. And uh, you know, there are specific muscle length tests that you can do, or that a physical therapist that can do, kind of sort of known normal standards that a muscle should be roughly this flexible. And if you're way more than that, then it's probably too much. And if you're way less than that, then it's probably too little and you may need to stretch it. Yeah, I, th I think you put it in a really great way. Um, you know, let's go back to the concept of simplicity. Um, I love the fact that you talked about it. Like if something makes you feel better, makes you feel good, do more of it. Um, and if something like hurts, do like stop, stop doing it or do less or modify. That is actually something that I really hold near and dear to my heart because that's especially the thought process that I do when I work with my patients. And I love the point, the fact that you, you brought up the concept of the, of, um, if a muscle is short, stretch it out, but a painful area, a painful muscle doesn't necessarily have to be stretched out. Um, I remember, I think what I was taught, um, as I was coming up as a PT was the fact that if you're doing like a really long hamstring stretch, right. And you're stretching out that sciatic nerve. Um, you're also kind of stretch. You're also stretching out those blood vessels too, which in essence could reduce the oxygen flow. And we're talking about everything needs energy. Right. And so that, that in itself, um, was, uh, was a very cool, thing and it, it's wild i'm I, I have to say this i'm so glad that we got linked up because as you're saying this stuff i'm like uh-huh uh -huh, uh -huh. and and listeners if you're just listening to this i'm like nodding to everything that dave is saying because everything he's saying is really hitting the nail on the head and i really appreciate that and so i'm super thankful but getting back into the the concept of these tools um and everything we have this thought process so um for listeners, and, and I want to make sure I'm sum, summarizing this correctly, Dave, um, manual therapy, whether it be joint work or soft tissue work, uh, it is the a tool and the toolbox that we have as practitioners. And where you got the most amount of value through your training as a fellow was the ability to be able to build the, the critical thinking skills to determine when you should use a tool and when you should not and how to appropriately implement that. Is that correct? Yes, uh, that's correct. Uh, you add a lot of tools to your toolbox and then you also know when to use which tool and when not to use certain tools. Yeah. And so um, speaking of tools, there's probably some listeners who are like, okay, I get it. I like, I might need some joint work. I, 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 there's a lot of tools available. How can I determine something that would be beneficial for me. And so let's talk about some action steps for the listeners as they're trying to figure out what they should do. Um, in regards to, yeah, what are some, like, let's just say like one to two action steps now that they know a little bit about manual therapy, what are some ways that these listeners can implement some sort of manual therapy, whether it be joint work or, or soft tissue work um, into their routine? Well, sure. Um, you know, anytime you move, you move your joints and your soft tissues at the same time. Um, joints are a little bit harder to self-mobilize. There are some ways that you can mobilize them on your own. But, you know, truly what joint mobilizations are is accessory movements. And what that means is little tiny movements that you can't do with your muscles. Um, usually joint mobilizations are less than about an eighth of an inch, they're little tiny microscopic movements. And truly to, to self-mobilize joints, it, it, you'd probably be best to get in touch with a practitioner um, to learn what's going on in your individual body and some ways that you can do it. Um, muscles are a little bit easier to mobilize. Um, you can 
find some knotted areas with your hands. Um, most people are kind of vaguely familiar with where their sore areas or painful areas or knotted areas are. And if you can find those with your hands, just putting a little bit of pressure on that area uh, with your fingers can be helpful. Um, you want enough pressure that you feel you're doing something. It's slightly uncomfortable. You wouldn't want to hold it there all day, but you shouldn't be killing yourself either. Because what happens when you put too much muscle Praying on a muscle or when you make a muscle hurt, it just spasms more. And that's counterproductive to what you're trying to do. Um, one way that uh, people are taught or, or kind of a visualization, if you're applying self uh, trigger point therapy, is imagine putting your finger on an ice cube, putting your finger on a stick of butter and just kind of feeling it slowly melt away underneath your fingers. You don't have to apply a whole lot of pressure. You're not trying to crush the ice cube. You're just applying heat and letting it kind of gradually melt away. And when you do effective trigger point therapy with your hands, that's really what kind of happens. You, you find the muscle. You might have to press kind of hard to find it, but then you back off and you just kind of stay there with a little gentle pressure. And that muscle just gradually lets go and lets go and lets go. And you might find you can sink a little bit deeper into the tissues. Now, if you don't have the skilled hands or the skilled fingers, or maybe you have some joint problems in your hands. Maybe you've got rheumatoid arthritis and you, know, you, you just can't use your hands comfortably. There are other tools that you can use. I, I'm a big fan of uh, muscle rolling sticks, um, especially like for your hamstrings where your sciatic nerve is or your thighs, um, your calves. You know, those are great areas to use muscle rolling sticks, or you can even use a baking rolling pin. I, I tell a lot of people just to use a rolling pin if they have it at home. And if not, there are resources where you, where you can get muscle roller sticks. Um, foam, foam rollers are, are good. Um, I know you have a lot of CrossFitters and people that listen to your podcast and CrossFitters love foam rollers. Um, you know, the population that I work with that, that doesn't love foam rollers as much, but they are a great way to release some fascia and and uh, get your soft tissues moving a little bit better. I, I will say they are better for the proximal muscle groups, meaning the ones closer to your midline. Um, when you get down to your calves, your forearms or things, they, they, they're not quite as great. But for your thighs, your cat, for your thighs, your hamstrings, your quadriceps, um, your back, they're great there. Um, sitting on a tennis ball um, is something that can actually be really helpful. But uh, your static nerve runs right through your buttock. Most people who have sciatica, they are kind of painful um, in that area, right in, in their buttock. Um, and it's not always the best idea to put pressure there right over the sciatic nerve because that can make things a little bit more irritable. So you do have to be a little bit careful there. And that's another one where I would truly make sure there's a trigger point there, that you're not putting pressure directly on the nerve, that you're putting it more on the bony attachments of the muscle. and. Uh, the key, again, if we go back to simplicity, is try the stuff that I just mentioned. If you feel better after doing it, keep doing it. If you feel worse, then stop and find something else. Yeah, I love that. I think the the opportunity to uh, to reassess um, to reassess the situation, see how it actually impacts you um, is huge. And uh, you said rolling pin uh, as one of the tools. And um, I'm really surprised. Uh, when I see some people, uh, how how little rolling pins 
um, I see at, at people's houses. I guess uh, people are baking a lot less. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's definitely something that uh, I'm a huge fan of. Um, and then, yeah, another thing is like, if you don't have a rolling pin, you don't have a rolling stick. Um, I often actually recommend like a wooden spoon. Um, so if you are into making sauces and you don't want to scratch the bottom of your pot, a wooden spoon with a round handle is also a good one too. So um, this is this is really great, Dave. This is awesome. It's, it's super helpful. You brought up this concept of for joints, right? So say, for example, if we address the soft tissues on our own. That's great, but we want to do a little bit of possibly even accessory work, some other things that we might not necessarily be able to do on ourselves. You said find a practitioner. So when it comes to trying to find a practitioner, because this is not something like if we're looking at hands-on work, we might not necessarily be able to get that accomplished when you're working with someone via Zoom. So if they're going to be working with a practitioner, what are some things that people should look for or what are some things that they should ask before they actually even consider, okay, this is the type of practitioner that I want from a manual therapy standpoint? Well, if you are um, looking for a manual therapist, I'd say that there are, are you know, two big ways to go about it. The easiest one is if you know someone who's worked with a manual therapist before and you have a personalized recommendation from someone you trust, um, that's a good way to go about it. If you know that they've gotten successful hands-on treatment from someone in the past, there's a lot less likelihood that you're just rolling the dice and finding some physical therapist off the street. Um, the other really helpful resource, and you know, I get people who contact me through my website from all over the country and even uh, other you know countries, and you know obviously I can't treat those people um, hands on. So um, yeah, I do help people quite a bit find practitioners in their area. And there's a great directory, um, the American Academy of Orthopedic Manual Physical Therapists, the AAOMPT, has a website AAOMPT.org, and on that website there's a button somewhere on there a link that says find a fellow. And that will take you to a directory of fellowship trained manual therapists who are members of the American Academy of Orthopedic Manual Physical Therapists. Um, and you can find, you can enter your address and it will find fellows who have passed a uh, pretty rigorous, uh, both written and hands-on examination to meet the standards that are developed, not just by the AAOMPT, but the International Fellow, uh, Federation of Orthopedic Manual Physical Therapists. So um, if you find someone on that directory, you've got a pretty good idea that they've had some pretty thorough training and have a decent idea what they're talking about. Awesome. The link to what Dave was talking about will actually be found in the show notes. Um, and Dave, uh, I mean, you're a physical therapist yourself. You are located out in M Missouri. St. Louis, right? yeah. St. Louis, Missouri. Missouri. Uh, and you actually work with people um, through a lot of different capacities. So uh, tell us a little bit more about uh, your business and how you can help out with people. Sure. So my business is called uh, More for Life. We're located in St. Louis, Missouri. Um, and uh, our website is uh, m4lpt.com. That's more, the number four, lifept.com. Um, we have a blog that has a lot of great health tips that you can just access for free. We have a lot of free downloadable um, material on our website. And if you happen to be in St. Louis, uh, you know, check us out and give us a call. We'd love to help you out hands-on, one-on-one. 
Um, and I also have some other resources. I've got a book on chronic pain called Chronic Pain. You're not just getting older. You're not crazy. And it's not all in your head. And the title is that because those are the things that people with chronic pain typically hear from their doctors that you're just getting older. You're going to have to deal with it. It's just arthritis. And you're crazy. You're making this up or it's all in your head. You know, it's, you, we found nothing on your x-ray. We found nothing on your MRI. It's got to be all in your head. Just get over it. Um, and so it really speaks to the problems that people with chronic pain go through, as well as offer a number of uh, actionable solutions that people can take on their own to get some relief from chronic pain. Um, and then finally, for people listening to this podcast, um, I do actually have an online sciatica course at relievesciaticnervepain.com. Um, there's also a 21 uh, most frequently asked questions about sciatica Um guide on that website that you can download for free. I love it. So many resources for you listeners out there. Remember the pain that you're experiencing is real and it is important for you to get that reassurance that you, the pain you're experiencing is real. So then that way you can take action. There's people like Dr. Dave Candy, myself, and other people in this world who are trained to help you. And Dave has provided some really great knowledge today and some awesome resources. The link for uh, his information will also be found in today's show notes. And so if you want to take action, definitely take action because uh, Dave definitely knows his stuff and is and is awesome. I'm so thankful that he's taking the time out of his day because I know it's pretty late on a Friday for him out in Missouri. So Dave, thank you again so much for being on today's episode. Yeah, again, it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you got some help from today's podcast. And for more info, check us out at ifixyoursciatica.com. Have a fantastic and pain-free day. No patient-therapist relationship is formed by listening to this podcast. We are not providing medical advice, and all information should be confirmed by a medical provider. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.